Hello and a big welcome to the Elevate Her podcast. My name is Selena. And I'm Maika. And we're here to discuss common barriers women face in our society. And provide you with top tips and information from high achieving women from all kinds of fields to empower and inspire you to achieve your full potential and elevate your life. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Elevator podcast. Today, we are joined by the lovely Helena Dodd, who is a PhD student in chemical biology at Imperial College London and president of the Women in STEM group at Imperial. Helena is a strong advocate for outreach and diversity and has founded a nationally recognized STEM mentoring scheme for underperforming local female pupils. She is also the chair of the Women's Engineering Society University Group Board and head judge at the Big Bang Science Fair, which has over 80,000 visitors per year. In today's episode, we discuss Helena's journey in STEM and the challenges she has faced so far, as well as her passion for mentoring and empowering young girls to achieve their full potential. This conversation is full of pearls of wisdom, so sit back and enjoy the episode. So Helena, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. It's great to be on today. So Helena, maybe if you can tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background and everything. Yeah, so uh, I don't know how far you want me to go. So I'll just kind of... <laughs> as far as, <laughs> as you want. Far, yeah. <laughs> cool. Uh, well, uh, I always liked science as a child, but um, there were no scientists in my family. So I didn't really know that it was possible to have a career in science. Uh, so I always thought I wanted to do medicine because that's kind of what I was told at school. I was told, oh, you're good at science. You're going to be a medical doctor. But then um, I grew up in Spain and I came to the UK when I was 16 because I knew I wanted to go to university here. And I knew that if I did my A-levels here beforehand, I might make a more informed choice and might find it easier to apply for scholarships and wow. things like that to help me. So I moved to the UK by myself when I was 16 went wow. to boarding school. <laughs> wow, yeah. I was That's very pretty... nervous. Yeah, when I was 11, I pulled my parents into a room and I said, I've decided I'm going to go to university in the UK and I'm going to move out at 16. And they went, yeah, yeah, sure you will. <laughs> and then a few years later at 14, I said, okay, guys, there's two years to go now. How are we going to plan this? And they went, oh, you were serious? And I went, yes, of course. Any 11-year-old who tries to make plans for their future is, of course, serious. So it ended up working out. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, so then it was when I was in the UK um, and my schooling kind of is very different. The whole experience is really different. And then I realized how there were way more options for me than just studying medicine. So, um, yeah, I decided for various reasons medicine wasn't for me. The main one was I found it too emotionally difficult. And I thought I love the science aspect of it, but the people aspect just is too much. And I thought I'm just going to take it home with me, be really sad and then do my job worse if I go into this area. So then I thought, how can I do a job where I get to do research that could help medical doctors without the people component? So um, I ended up deciding to do a degree in chemistry because I thought then I can make new treatments. And I really liked understanding things on a molecular level and an atomic level. So um, I did a, an MSci, which is an, undergrad, an undergraduate master's in chemistry at the University of Birmingham. And then while I was there, I really fell in love with research. I did some sort of internships in industry and some other things just to try things out, really kind of make an informed decision. Um, I decided I really wanted to do a PhD after my MSI project. My MSI project was making uh, new drugs for tuberculosis. And we had a collaborator um, in kind of medicine and life sciences where we would give the drugs we made and they would test them. And I thought that was really cool 
But I also thought it's such a shame that I don't see this testing. So I thought I want to do a PhD where I get to do both things. So I get to make stuff and then test them. So <laughs> that's what I'm doing now. So uh, and I've moved from tuberculosis into cancer. So I make new drugs that are based on nanomaterials. I characterize them and then I go and test them and modulate them so that they can make the immune system better at killing cancer cells by activating NK cells, which are a type of yeah. lymphocyte. Amazing. That's Thank a really, you. really good story. <laughs> Thank, <Yeah>. you. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm really impressed by the fact that at 14 you were like, okay, guys, this is happening. So let's plan this. <laughs> yeah, that's so impressive. I was very lucky to have parents that even though they weren't scientists, they kind of let yeah. me do that. They, they went, yep. okay, she is so confident in herself. We are confident in her as well. So yeah. uh, that's why I do a lot of work now. Um, I'm very passionate about kind of getting more women into STEM, making women mm -hmm. feel empowered and especially yeah. future generations, because I realized how lucky I was to have the parental support system that I had. And even though we didn't have much money and I, I didn't come from a STEM background, just having that support. I think lots of young women nowadays don't have that. So I'm very keen to try and you know, give back some of the mentoring that I've benefited in, some of the kind of strength that I've been handed and hopefully help future generations. Yeah, that's so inspiring. And it's so fitting to what we are also trying to achieve with this podcast. Now, because you've already mentioned it, that um, you want to give something back and you want to concentrate on women in STEM, maybe you can elaborate a bit about this, what you're doing at Imperial College with being the president of Women in STEM. Yeah. So um, as I'm sure you both know, and I'm guessing quite a few of the listeners will know, the gender balance at Imperial is not great. <laughs> I think it's maybe, what is it, a third or something? It's 30-something yeah. percent women. Yeah. Whereas I think we would all think that it should be 50. So, uh, I mean, there's lots of other gaps as well. I know the, the racial balance is even worse, and oh, I don't yeah. know about the LGBTQ balance or, you know, other minorities. But you know, the demographic that I am, I'm a woman, I'm a white cisgendered woman. So I feel like there's other fights I, I can't fight. It's not my place to do. I can support, but it's not me. But women, gender diversity, I think is something that I am in a position where I can do something without taking up a space that's not mine. So um, yeah, that's kind of the, the sort of ethos behind the Women in STEM Imperial Group is both to support women that are already in STEM. So women at Imperial, because I think The years that we do our PhDs, usually we're in our 20s, uh, postdocs, people are in their 30s. There's a series of issues that I, and pressures that I think women face that men don't necessarily face. Mm -hmm. uh, lots of kind of maternity leave, childcare. I think we get questioned a lot more on our future and our work-life balance than our male counterparts do, which I think is yeah. very unfair. And also, there's so little representation of women in senior roles in academia and in STEM outside of academia. It's hard for us to push through that. Firstly, when we experience all of these questioning and imposter syndrome that maybe men don't experience. And also when yeah. we don't see women, you know, we don't see professors, really senior women, how can we imagine being what isn't there? Definitely, yeah. yes. That's It's part of what we do. And then I'm also personally very passionate. I think the gender balance is already bad when people join Imperial. So I'm keen to also try and improve it from that early stage. I know yeah. everyone's heard of the leaky pipeline and it, even if it starts 50-50, it gets worse. Mm -hmm. But I think yeah. lots of people, lots of women already come to university already preconditioned mm -hmm. and they, it might already be too late for them to either go into STEM or they, they might have already made their minds up. So yeah. that's why I'm very keen to kind of work with younger audiences as well. So maybe girls kind of age 11, 12, 13, mm -hmm. 14, 15, 16, 
that maybe haven't decided yet to try and you know be the role model to them that I didn't have when I was their age and that I think lots of young women don't have yeah so that's what where you then founded the mentoring scheme yeah so the the women in stem group at imperial we're mostly run by postgraduates i believe there's another woman in stem group that's for undergraduates but we thought there was a real kind of lack of a postgraduate group and Mm -hmm. uh, i think sometimes the sort of issues we face can be quite different to undergraduates partially because we tend to be older than undergraduates um, and are just at a very different point in our life. And uh, when we founded the group, we kind of started, well, I I didn't find it, I found it, I should say that. It was Chiara Heide, who is amazing, and she's since completed a PhD. She's now running a really successful uh, biotech startup. So when she started the the group, she initially started by having lots of kind of guest speakers come in, networking sessions, talks, trying to just kind of offer opportunities to women at Imperial to empower them mm-hmm. and then uh, the members then asked if we could uh, start a mentoring scheme then we thought okay it would could be really good to explore having a mentoring scheme so that women can feel like they have some ongoing support and uh, then the first round was so successful we uh, we thought could we adapt this and kind of come up with a second sort of branch of the mentoring scheme to support younger women as well because we had so many of the women who had been mentees during our mentoring scheme they said I would love to give back could I be a mentor and then they were saying but I'm a PhD student myself or I'm a final year undergraduate I don't feel like I could mentor PhD students you know could I mentor younger students so we've uh, paired up with a local school in Shepherd's Bush where they have lots of um, women from ethnic minorities and who come from quite impoverished backgrounds. So they're they're already quite disadvantaged. Uh, There's a group of girls who are really lovely, who are interested in STEM careers, but they have no idea what that's like. They'll they'll be the first people in their family to go to university. So uh, we've been pairing them up with some mentors from the Women in STEM at Imperial group. And uh, yeah, we've We've just launched this. It's very fresh. We haven't start, done the mentor-mentee pairings yet. We also got some interest um, from people through kind of the Women's Engineering Society network side mm-hmm. from Imperial, which mm-hmm. is very exciting. So we have some mentors signed up that are from other universities. We're hoping that we can showcase some diversity to the mm-hmm. students because we did think Imperial is not really necessarily the most accessible university for people from mm-hmm. minorities. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's quite intimidating. That I was going to say, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Imperial is really intimidating and with the fees that they've introduced recently exactly. for mm-hmm. the postgraduate. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah. London's already an expensive city and then yeah. you're it's... just making it worse. Yeah, exactly. And I myself, I didn't do my undergraduate degree at Imperial. I didn't even apply to any university in London because financially it wasn't an option. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah, outreach to schools, is this then also included with the science fairs you're organising? Yes, so I'm a registered STEM ambassador, which um, if any listeners, I'd highly recommend you look into it and sign up. It's a nationally accredited volunteer scheme where you sign up and uh, you get a free DBS check and you get training on how to work with children and vulnerable groups. And then there's kind of this database where schools and local groups can make requests for a certain type of scientist to come do an event. There's all sorts of things. There's kind of careers fairs, there's talks, there's mentoring. And if you're registered as an ambassador, you can just look through the requests, see if anything interests you and then sign up, show up to the event. And it's great. I feel like I've benefited so much through that scheme because it kind of it's a real confidence boost. It's mm-hmm. helped me so much with things like presentation skills and it really feels like I make a difference. So I, I started with that 
And um, then as an undergraduate, I thought these kinds of activities are so great, but um, lots of these pupils, a one-off activity is not enough for them. They yeah. kind of need more ongoing engagement. So I looked into founding mentoring schemes and stuff. So I did that as an undergraduate, which has now led on to the mentoring I do now. And I also, on the side, I'm involved with the Big Bang uh, Science Competition, which is a national science fair. So uh, I got involved with the Big Bang Fair when I um, I signed up as a competitor when I was 16. Mm -hmm. Then I won the regional finals for the southeastern England, which is where I went to school. So I got through to the national finals when I was 17. And um, I had such a great experience there. It was my first time meeting other young people that wanted to be scientists. Mm -hmm. And that was back when I was really kind of on the fence about medicine and going to a science fair and seeing hundreds of other children that all had a really good idea of what they wanted to do really helped me reflect and realize that I wanted to go down the pure science route. So I'm so grateful to my experience there that every year since I've volunteered while I was doing my undergraduate, I volunteered as just someone who um, helps kind of exhibit things and is on a stand and interactive for the kids you can visit. Uh, oh, I should mention that the Big Bang Fair, as well as being a competition for children, there's a, it's also a huge fair. It has over 80,000 visitors each year over four days. So for me, it was so impactful to kind of the networking opportunities you can have as a 16 year old, mm-hmm. meeting 80,000 people that are a mix of professionals in STEM, people in industry, mm-hmm. people in academia. So I really love the fair. So I volunteered every year since. You can become a judge once you've, you have a degree. So um, I signed up as a judge a few years ago and I got my degree. To be honest, I was a bit disillusioned with the whole process because I found that there were some biases in the judging that I hadn't been aware of. I think the system had been in place for quite a few years. It hadn't really been you know, changed or reviewed. The judging structure wasn't very transparent to the competitors or to the more junior judges. There was a lot of decisions being made high up. It was quite sort of pyramidal. There were lots of projects were winning based on a media story instead of good science. So I then raised a lot of complaints about this and I started frantically emailing very senior people in the organization saying, (laughs) hi, I know you don't know who I am, but I don't care. Because I've been involved in this fair for about seven, eight years now. I'm a past competitor and it breaks my heart to see that you're not being fair on these children. And it's making me question my entire experience. And did I get through to the finals because I deserve to or because there were biases against other people? So at the first I was ignored. But after me raising more and more complaints, they then eventually said, OK, you have a point. We need to change the way that we structure things and the way that we do the judging would you like to be involved in that? And then I, I kind of said, okay. And then they said that they would start a new head judge role, which the head judges don't really make the judging decisions. The head judges though have access to all the projects. So they can kind of double check and triple check everything. And the head judges have more interaction directly with the children, but don't get to score them. So there's it's unbiased there. Oh, yeah. I ended up applying and ended up choosing me, which was amazing. Um, Um, It made quite a few people quite angry because lots of moderators in their 50s, 60s, you know, very senior. Some of them are professors and now I'm technically more senior than them, which is quite hilarious. (laughs) It's good. It is awesome. And it's an amazing story how you tried something and you made a difference um, by being persistent and you've raised your voice and you were heard. 
yeah yeah so that's I have nothing to lose and in fact I have gained so much from this it just made me so angry to think that other people wouldn't be able to gain as much from the experience that I had because of just biases so Mm -hmm. I thought this needs to change yeah thank you for sharing I think it's really inspiring and I think more people should you know as you did raise concerns that they have and stand out there like stand for their rights you know stand for what they deserve and don't be afraid try things because as you said like you don't have anything to lose like you lose exactly. more by not trying yeah. yeah exactly I think I did have the the advantage that I wasn't employed by them as, as an organization mm-hmm. it was kind of very much a side thing so I could have walked away um I think unfortunately lots of people face similar issues but within their place of employment it's a whole other type of situation yeah. and I think it can be a lot more difficult to speak out than definitely yeah yeah Can I just really quickly ask as well, like, because language barrier wise, because you were 16. Yeah, Yeah, no, that's that's very interesting. And many people don't ask me that because when they hear me and they see me, they assume I'm British. Yeah, Yeah, because you speak so well. (laughs) Yes. My mum is British. That's why. Ah, that's useful then. Okay. So I I did grow up speaking English, but I only spoke English at home, which has put me at a huge advantage. But my schooling and everything was in Spanish. Yeah, when I when I moved here, it was it was a big shock because even when you speak a language kind of informally, lots of STEM subjects in particular, things like biology and chemistry, the words are so different and they're not words that you use normally in a language. So uh, yeah, I, I initially failed my first set of mock exams and I remember all my teachers were saying, but your grades were so good before you came to this school, what's going on? And I said, it's because I haven't been taught in this language. And they said, but you speak it so well. And I had to kind of really fight to say, look, yeah. this isn't that I'm bad academically. I just need time to adapt to the yeah. new curriculum, the language barrier, the way of learning. Mm-hmm. Also, I was 16. I was in a country on my own that I'd never lived in. <laughs> yes, it is yeah. so brave and this is so inspiring. And I can definitely relate like when I came to the UK. So I did also my BSc at Imperial and I came straight from France. So Obviously in France, like I didn't speak English at home. I would just talk English at school. I mean, I could speak and like communicate, but the actual STEM language is so different. I remember just not understand, understanding things, like getting things properly because of that barrier. And, and I made mistakes and I was like, I remember like in the final years of my BSc, I was like, oh, that's what they meant. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can totally understand When I first moved here, I started an internship at a pharmaceutical company and I was so overwhelmed with the language because for me, the only English I had was at school and we got taught American English. So for me, understanding and actually speaking English in the UK, it was a real challenge. But finally, like gladly, we all got where we are now. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. I still struggle with accents sometimes. Um, When I went to university, I had to, I spoke to student finance quite a few times early on and everyone for student finance is from Glasgow and I, it was phone calls and I did not understand them at all. (laughs) I had the same with like my Sky broadband and everyone that I call for like any service, they're all in Glasgow. And honestly, there was this guy on the phone, I was like, I'm sorry, I really don't understand you. He was like, no, no, it's fine. It's it's my accent, I'm sorry. They probably know. They have like yeah. struggles every day. <laughs> okay, Selena, so you wanted to say something before. <laughs> no, I just you. wanted to ask Helena about maybe her experience as a mentor and as a mentee. 
and how that shaped the way you set up the scheme, maybe your mentoring scheme? Yeah, that's that's a really interesting topic for discussion. I'm a mentor for undergraduates from the university where I graduated from. I've mm-hmm. also done several mentoring schemes with mentoring young children and also through my head judge role, that's sort of yeah. some mentoring as well. And the main thing I've learned, which might be quite sound, might count quite counterintuitive, is to just kind of um, own the areas in which you're not able to be a role model to them. So, for example, one of the mentees I have at the moment who is an undergraduate doing the same degree I did um, at the university I did my undergraduate at, um, she is a woman of colour and I am white. And uh, quite early on in our mentoring relationship, and I said, you know, I can offer you things I've learned based on my experiences, but I know your experiences will be different. You will unfortunately face a different set of challenges that I can't relate to. Yes. And I can't offer you support in that. Put her. I, I can support her in the ways that I can and the things we have in common. Mm-hmm. But there is this other aspect where I have found people that she can talk to about things that she can't talk to with me. So I think that's very important with being a mentor. Kind of offer your mentee a safe space to talk about every aspect of them because people are intersectional and have lots of different identities. And don't try and force your identity and don't try and you know assume that you can be the answer to everything for them because Mm. there are ways in which you can't be and that's okay and I think that being transparent about that is really good because it also takes the pressure off from the mentee to feel like they they have to get loads out of you and that they need to be able to open up about anything and that they need to be able to just take whatever response you take you you give them and have that help I don't know if I've explained this at all well yes, no, really, yeah. it makes perfect mm-hmm. sense it's a really yeah. good advice yeah it's probably something as well which is not always obvious for starters so it's really it shows that you're really experienced it's really yeah. refreshing to hear this actually because yeah. I feel like many mentors maybe they feel like they have the need to sort of relate to mm. whatever they mentee experience which is actually not true as you mentioned like there are things that you cannot relate to you just have to focus on the areas that you can actually help on and that will make you like a great mentor I think I think that's that's perfect one question as well what I had was what your wishes for the future are what direction this will go and which path you're on like women in STEM or like being a mentor, like the whole mentoring scheme, do you have like any wishes for the future where you would want to lead everything? Ah, well, um, I'd love the mentoring scheme to keep growing. So um, this is the sixth form student mentoring, which we've just launched. We're hoping that it will be successful. If it is, the school is already super keen and uh, is already discussing that they could kind of double or triple the number of mentees for next year. So we're okay. basically starting small with only five mentees at the moment because we want to get it right if it's successful we can expand it next year maybe expand into different schools as well I'm very keen to continue collaborating with other universities to provide Mm -hmm. mentors as well so that's what I would hope that we could grow it into more schools maybe schools that are local to the other universities as well maybe make it a bit less London centric and just hopefully reach out to as many people as possible and help people Great. And women-wise, for like women in STEM, do you have any wishes for this as well? 
Well, I guess my, my first, my main wish, which I'm, I'm sure you'll both relate to, is I hope that we can achieve true gender equality within the next few decades. Unfortunately, I think it's going to be a case of decades, not yeah. years or overnight. So I just hope that the women going into STEM now aren't disheartened, aren't put off. And I think if every generation of women in STEM faces less challenges than the previous ones, then that is progress. Yeah. So what would be your advice for young women wishing to go into STEM? I'd say, I guess the main thing is believe in yourself. You do have things to offer, even if you think you don't. I think we all face imposter syndrome. And um, I'm sure everyone's heard of it. Something like um, men are likely to apply for a job if they meet only 60% of the requirements, yeah, whereas yeah. women don't um, unless they meet 90%. So I think confidence yeah. goes a long way. So I would tell young women, if you have anyone in your life who or anyone you've ever met who's told you you're not kind of going to make it in STEM or anything like that, ignore them. They are wrong. Mm -hmm. You can do whatever you want to as long as you believe in yourself. I think everyone in STEM has something to offer. I think STEM is a better place if it's diverse and if there's a range of voices from people with different experiences. So, yeah, I would encourage everyone who's interested in it go for it but also if you feel like that's not what you want that's okay too I would say especially when you're young it's a great time to try different things out mm -hmm. see what fits yeah. you know don't put pressure on yourself because there's kind of many years of a working life left to go so yeah. it's okay to change your mind like I changed my mind about medicine and I'm mm -hmm. so happy I did there's no linear path into STEM everyone's journey is different so just try and enjoy it as you go and if you're not enjoying it then something needs to change and it's probably not you it's probably something to do with the environment you're in so try and change that amazing advice I really yeah. like what you said about feeling that this is not right for you as women sometimes we just we just feel like so stressed about actually going for what we like because yeah yeah we don't trust our gut feelings yeah we really need to encourage women to not being afraid of going for things new things and Yeah. just stopping what you're doing now if, if that's not good for you yeah I mean I give this advice I say it but then I'm not necessarily the best at applying it to myself yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think something that lots of people don't talk about at least within academia which is what I've experienced the most is um, I think it's a two-way street and sometimes if people get kind of rejected for a PhD position for example or a postdoc they really take it to heart and think I wasn't right but also maybe they weren't right for you I think yes, it's a yeah. much more two-way relationship than people yeah. think. And I think especially women, we can be quite hard on ourselves and think I wasn't right instead of they weren't right for me. I deserve better. Definitely. Yeah. In that two-way aspect, I think also being afraid to change is based on being afraid to be judged for mm -hmm. changing in STEM, especially if you're doing a PhD, for instance, but you don't want to do a postdoc, or you actually want to do something else afterwards then you feel that pressure of like, if you say that you actually don't want to pursue science after a PhD, people are going to be like, I guess, what, what, why are you doing this then? Yes. You know? I can mm. relate to this so much. It's the same with like, when you say no, you probably don't say no because you have fears of being judged afterwards. Mm. Um, yeah. 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 I also don't know if either of you have experienced this, but on the rare occasions I do say no, I always tend to offer too much justification. Yes. And I think I need to stop myself and just yes. say, you know what? People don't need to know. It's okay to just say no. 
without yeah. a reason. It's really bad. Like I completely relate to this. <laughs> I feel like then I, I justify and I'm like, Mike, why do you justify? But then I keep justifying. Yes. It's yeah. so hard. <laughs> in case our listeners want to get involved, how they can reach out? Yeah, I would say my email address. Also, if anyone Googles women in STEM at Imperial, information comes up and my email address is also there. Unfortunately, I'm very bad with social media. <laughs> I do have LinkedIn, so I can't say, oh, find me on Twitter because I don't have Twitter. So <laughs> I would say LinkedIn and email are probably the best. I'm also more than happy to kind of share any suggestions if anyone wants to start with outreach or mentoring but if you don't want to just you know go in the deep end and sign up for an ongoing scheme I have loads of suggestions for like really great charities and uh, initiatives that where you can kind of just do a one-off thing so for example Skype a scientist um, is a great program where you get paired with a classroom just somewhere in the world so for example I think a few months ago I was Skyping people in Florida you basically get an interview with uh, the teacher and school groups where they ask you about your work you know, what you do, how you got into it. And then the children get to ask you questions and it's all based around your availability and timetable. So Dude, it's a great place like to start. Yeah. 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 There's also letters to a pre-scientist, which is yeah. a similar type of scheme, except instead of Skype, you get to, uh, you get a pen pal and mm-hmm. you get to send letters. It used to be letters in person, but now it's moved. Some places do emails. They all go through a teacher first. That's the other thing with lots of work with children. There's just a lot of concerns to bear in mind. But any of these initiatives you sign up for, they will offer training. I would also, the STEM ambassadors, which I mentioned earlier, they're great. Yeah, there's also for people at Imperial, there's public engagement team at Imperial who I've worked with quite a bit and they're really great. So um, if anyone has any questions about that, they can contact me. No, thanks so much. We'll definitely include all of this in the show notes as well yeah. so people can get a gauge. Cool. Yeah. One last question that we ask all yes. our listeners is what's your favorite word or quote and why? Oh, oh no. <laughs> I know it's always mean people never know like immediately. So yeah. you can you can yeah. think about it. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I, I had one quote. It's very cheesy. But when I was like 16, I thought it was the coolest quote ever. It's Walt Disney. It says, all our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. Oh, it's a sweet one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. But for words, I'd probably say I like determination or there's a it's more words I don't like are words that stereotypically can be used to uh, define women. So, for example, bossy or loud so actually assertive is a word I like a lot okay and it's a word I I self-define with quite a lot if anyone tries to kind of say I'm being pushy or persistent Mm. I say actually I am assertive thank you so much for listening today we hope you enjoyed this conversation with Helena as much as we did If you're currently working or studying in STEM and are interested in outreach or mentoring, please check out the links in the show notes. There are some great resources listed there. And finally, we would really appreciate it if you could rate and subscribe to this podcast, as well as share it around you so that we can reach and empower more people to elevate their lives. Mm -hmm.